0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Market and the Good. My name is Chris, I'm your host today, and with us we have our guest Arlen. Arlen, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. And for those who do not yet know Arlen, he is one of the founding fathers of the plant-based menus, blended burger, and in his spare time also loves really walking it out with the acoustic bass and getting creative with Legos. So Arlen, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Arla, we've covered a whole lot of different things. Um, What will the audience gain from listening to us today?
1: You know, I think um, I already made the decision years ago that the most important uh, industry to work in is the food industry. So maybe some of the really smart people listening to this podcast will decide I ought to work in food when i was growing up you know working in the food industry was considered not a career to aspire to and i think as a result some of the smartest people in the world um decided to work in other industries and that's taken a toll on you know the ability for the industry to innovate to manage and sadly we found you know taking a toll on the planet when long-range thinking and the willingness to integrate complex science, uh, is not something this industry is so good at, even though it uses more water, more land, emits more carbon than just about anything else we can do, and is also the biggest uh, influence on our health, and for a lot of people, whether they're even having a good day and enjoying themselves, if we're lucky enough to eat. So maybe the audience will decide to do a career change. That would be really great. If not, maybe we'll just make some different choices.
0: Oh, yeah, so a little bit for everybody, whether they're in the, the life-changing, career-changing space or just the, the daily decisions. Yeah. So Aaron, this is, uh, food touches everybody. What's, what's your story? How did you get in here? How did you get into doing well by doing good in, in this way?
1: So like I said, the food industry was not a place where you were supposed to work. Um, my father said to me you know grandpa came over from the old country i didn't even go to college we worked very hard and they were in the produce distribution industry family-owned business in philadelphia we worked really hard so you will not be doing this and instead go to college and i did and um, i was always for some reason really drawn to the environment and also pretty good with numbers so when i was in college at the university of michigan i made a really bold move and i said i'd like to take some classes in the business school no one in the school of natural resources had ever done that and i had lots and lots of hurdles to clear Um, but i did it and actually my research assistant for like over a decade ran the the herb center which was the sustainable business program at u of m which was created in my wake and the wake of a few others who came after me for a few years and started to, to say, "Business matters." Um, as you know, right, right place, right time, right skills, going into the business school meant I was also early in on spreadsheets. <laughs> and so when Ann Arbor's recycling drop-off station run by a nonprofit called Recycle Ann Arbor, needed someone to be the head administrator, I knew what a spreadsheet was. And uh, when a few of us sitting around said, you know, uh, recycling ought not be a drop-off activity with all the cars driving everywhere. What if it was as easy as putting out your trash? Again, I was there with the spreadsheet as we uh, decided to have recycling picked up at people's curbsides weekly, just like trash, and built out a huge nonprofit. Former head of the EPA, Bill Ruckelshaus, came, gave us an award as we built our recycling facility on top of an old landfill, and all the fun stuff that goes with innovating by bringing together two proven ideas, recycling and let's pick it up at your house. Um, So for over a decade, I um, did not touch food, and my father would be proud of me. Um, A few steps after that, I was working on land preservation like a lot of people were in the 90s how do we stop sprawl protect farmland other things and bring together the numbers thing again i said one of the challenges with farming uh, and protecting farmland is that so much of the value of the food is created in cities or in factories and uh, i was part of a several projects to figure out how could we make farmland more economically viable um, compared to other land uses. That was what the argument was about in the 90s. So we we led some advocacy work to get farms recharacterized as small businesses in Michigan so that they could get the marketing assistance and the other government supports that small businesses get, lower interest loans and on and on and on, and created this idea of value added foods being made on the farm and perhaps sold locally. I also became president of the food co-op and we grew uh, you know, a $4 million local food brand in Traverse City, Michigan out of that. But the thing that caught the attention of uh, some other folks was and I did an analysis and wrote a paper of what would happen if school cafeterias sold fruit and vegetables bought from farmers near them, which was not a thing. And um, that allowed me to uh, be awarded a fellowship by the Kellogg Foundation uh, to look at the role of food and society. And there was my pivot. You know, I went all in on the food industry. I did the pivot and I started to study the role of food and society with a lens towards how does business decisions create value for communities or producers that do better, better practices, et cetera. Um, the weird thing about philanthropy is that you're not supposed to make a lot of money out of it. So when I was working for the Kellogg Foundation, I had you know, said, communities do well when they quote unquote win the lottery, or they're the one whose grant gets awarded. But the, all the other communities that apply don't get a garden or a school program or a food bank or whatever. I said I wanted to work with a bigger company and to see how change might occur inside of that. And so I asked if I could contact the Kellogg Foundation. Uh, sorry, the Kellogg cereal Company. I was told, no, we're not allowed to benefit um, our own investments. And the Kellogg Foundation was the largest holder of stock in the Kellogg cereal Company. As luck would have it, and being at the right conference at the right time, I made friends with uh, the founder of Cascadian Farms, a dear, dear man named Gene Conn. Started to work with his little company and right then and there they were the subject of a hostile takeover by General Mills. And so Gene said to me, I know you're at the foundation, you understand the sustainability thing. I'm going to be given a job, VP of sustainability, I don't know what that means. I do know how to sell frozen fruit. Um, would you like to uh, be, you know, consult with uh, with me and help set this thing up? And that's what we did. Um, I left the Kellogg Foundation, set up Changing Taste, the firm I've been leading now for 15, 16 years, well, 16 and a half years. Um, and we've been working on helping businesses make better decisions about what foods to offer consumers.
0: We covered a lot of different um, ways of how food, people relate to food, how it's not sexy or uh, not the, maybe the industry to go into. Given all of that and the importance of food, What's the idea in brief? What's the the problem that that you're seeing and maybe some of the solutions uh,
1: to that that folks might consider? So there's two things that are going on. Different foods have very different environmental footprints. We've all heard beef has a big carbon footprint, beef has a big water footprint. Um, Rice has a big water footprint, but a much lower carbon footprint. It really is true. Uh, Different species act differently. When we eat plants, that's relatively an efficient way for us to get calories in sun to plant to us. When we uh, give it to animals, there's an extra step and a reduction of efficiency, but about one in 10. But people love to eat animals and animals are a part of our planet. And I am not one of these folks who says, let's just go vegan. Rather, the role animals have on our planet is they are kind of our rototillers and fertilizers. And it's important to grow food in ways that replicate natural systems so we maintain soil and water health, even sequester carbon at places like White Oak Farms they are you know, taking it as far as it can go. So we need to both change the amount of different types or the ratio of different types of food we eat. And we need to reward or incent better production practices. And those two things get really tricky to do at the consumer level. Most people, believe it or not, in the US, spend more than half their food dollars buying meals that were designed and cooked by businesses and culinary professionals. And less than half their food dollars buying ingredients from the grocery store to cook at home. So we're actually deciding to give those choices about where the food comes from, how it's grown, and what ratio, say, meat to rice to apples to celery we're gonna eat to a business. And so those businesses need to make better decisions if we're gonna tackle uh, some of the big uh, users of water and soil uh, and uh, emitters of carbon, as well as our own health. So we focus on helping the professionals who make purchasing and menu and merchandising decisions make better choices. And that really is is the big win. If you think about it, almost all of even the non-sustainability food trends have come out of industry, not out of consumers. Now I think most people are um, not old enough to remember when McDonald's was created. But from what I've been able to gather, there were not mass protests saying, our burger needs to be a quarter pound, four ounces, not three and a half, not five, just a quarter. That decision that basically a standard hamburger is four ounces came out of business. Years later, and I don't know if people remember the 80s, when like, you know, people were like withering and falling over in the streets from dehydration, actually not so much. But the bottled water industry, you know, came from businesses marketing a small amount of medical research that showed you should drink 64 ounces of water a day and then putting it in your hand. Consumers weren't saying, oh, my God, I'm walking around with my hands cupped at the faucet, trying to somehow hold the water and take it back to my office. We figured out how to do these things. Businesses created an opportunity. Culinary professionals play a big role, too. It used to be that lettuces grew in whole heads and you would buy those in the grocery store. They didn't get like trimmed in the farm and put in plastic bags, they're three and a half ounces. Actually cost about five times as much. But culinary professionals picking up on something that actually originated in France began to serve mixed lettuces on the plate in restaurants. Um, Looks prettier, little fancy, can't do this at home. Your produce store isn't big enough to hold six heads of lettuce. And then the industry commercialized that for home use, which is also very common. We eat things at home only after we get comfortable with them and believe we can cook them by eating them out in uh, restaurant, hospitality, food service. So the big changes occur, for better or worse, when businesses decide to change the relatively small set of choices they put before consumers. Gotcha. So,
0: Carl, you just teed up a lot of different, Aspects in there as far as like where or how businesses might do that or folks in, in thinking from their business role. What's what's the one call to action today if you know, the audience leaves only doing just just one thing? What's the the one thing that those business leaders should think about or if folks who have a choice in business what they could do how they could
1: do it? So first off, um, most of these decisions aren't made by the C-suite. They're made by people who have jobs like marketing, product development, purchasing. So all that I'd say here is. When you decide you're going to put something in front of the consumer market, you expect to succeed. And probably your boss expects you to succeed wildly. So ask a few things. How has this grown? If I'm going to need it all year long, can it grow in areas that that get rainfall? Am I going to draw down groundwater if I succeed? Um, Research ingredients because if a business decides to put them in the marketplace um, and does well, you're going to change how we plant the plant.
0: Profound. That is literally deep. Uh, Arlen, thank you so much for joining us today. A little bit of uh, actionable insights for everyone and definitely a lot of awareness for everyone. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And uh, audience, thank you for joining us on another episode of The Market and the Good. By all means, as always, please feel free to Send in your questions, your ideas for future episodes, um, thoughts on this episode. And we look forward to catching you here, another iteration of The Market and the Good. Take care all, bye.